Hello and welcome to the Adaptive Zone podcast, talking all things running and triathlon, from injury through rehabilitation and into performance. My name is Matthew Boyd, I'm a physiotherapist living in Red Deer, Alberta, originally from the UK, and I'll be your host. Hi guys, so you love to run, but now you've got the news that you have knee osteoarthritis. You thought it was the end of your running career, but you stumbled across a wonderful podcast that convinced you otherwise. After listening to episode 19 with Craig Lehrman, you're now feeling much more optimistic about your knee arthritis. You're feeling that perhaps the diagnosis isn't a death sentence for your running career. Even more than that, after listening to episode 15 with Dr. Merv Travers, you're feeling so anti-fragile that you're convinced your knees can even become stronger and more resilient than they used to be. You ready to hit the gym? Strengthen the hell out of those quads, glutes, hams, and carbs. But I hear you ask. So how exactly do I do that? Well, if you're anything like most of the runners I've ever met, you'd rather go on a three-hour run up a hill in a sweltering heat than spend 15 minutes in a gym. Alas, you want to get stronger and you're ready to take your medicine. You've signed up for a gym membership and you're committed to actually using it this time. You're going to need to know what to do. What's the point in going to the gym if you don't know how to get stronger? Fortunately, my guest today is an expert in strength and conditioning, and she's going to break it all down for you. Dr. Clem Inchall is one of the most highly respected rehabilitation and conditioning specialists in the UK. She has worked in the field of sports medicine and health for over 20 years as a senior lecturer, researcher, and consultant. She has designed, led, and managed major clinical and non-clinical research trials, supervised several PhD students, and has published over 30 research papers in peer-reviewed journals. Claire's area of expertise means that she uniquely spans the gap between the physiology of conditioning and physiotherapeutic rehabilitation. She founded Get Back to Sport, an international education and training company, to translate scientific research into findings to enhance clinical practice. In 2017, Claire published a systematic review on strength training for knee OA titled Considerations of the Principles of Resistance Training in Exercise Studies for the Management of Knee Osteoarthritis, a Systematic Review. Now, that's not exactly clickbait, but Claire does have a gift for breaking down really scientific concepts like this in um, scientific literature and trying to make it more applicable and more usable for us lay people. She joins me on the show today to discuss the practical application of our academic work. She'll help you understand how to implement the best strength and conditioning principles on your own program. Today's episode is not just for those suffering from knee arthritis. Strength training is becoming more and more popular among elite distance runners to help prevent injury and improve performance. In my opinion, all runners should be hitting the weights at least once a week. Claire's going to help you make sure you're not wasting your time. Okay, so uh, Dr. Claire Munchell, welcome to the show. And uh, would you mind uh, just introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about yourself and your professional work? Sure. Well, thanks so much for the invites. Uh, you know, so it's, I'm delighted to, to be here, um, although I wish I was where you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so my, my background um, is basically, I guess, sports medicine, sports science initially. So my academic uh, undergraduate degrees were, were in sports science. Um, and then my PhD and research thereafter has all been with a, a clinical emphasis. So uh, understanding 
um, what might uh, constitute kind of stable versus unstable joints, some of the risk factors we might be thinking about for, for injury, that's what we might need to think about in terms of rehabilitation. Uh, my area was, was um, neuromuscular physiology, so whilst we talk a lot about strength and conditioning, um, some of the more detailed aspects of that are some of the, the things that we've advanced in the research and ultimately applied into rehab. So um, yeah, I've uh, kind of done the PhD, set up sports medicine degree program uh, at Nottingham Trent University, I was there for about nine years, got my own PhD students. Um, then uh, uh, I, I went and led a collaboration in Edinburgh in Scotland in the UK, which involved a couple of universities and the trauma orthopedic department of the, this massive hospital, again, focusing on rehab. Um, and then kind of stepped out a little bit from certainly from full time academia. I'm still research active and have a, a collaboration with the, the RJAH Orthopedic Hospital in Shropshire. It's a center of excellence for orthopedics um, and, uh, and, and rehab. Uh, but what I do now is enjoy disseminating the information and the research that I've been lucky enough to produce. and. Um, that of the wider scientific community within a, a rehabilitation setting and a performance setting to, to people who can actually use that. So whilst it's nice to go to academic conferences and, and share, share knowledge there, um, it often kind of stays there. So I really, really enjoy and, and I'm passionate about kind of giving that to people in a meaningful way that, that can, can use it. Um, so yeah, that's uh, a potted history, if you like, of, of uh, where I've come from and, and where I'm at now. So I run the, the company Get Back to Sports, which is that that vehicle, if you like, for education and training. Yeah, I, um, when I've read your ResearchGate list of publications, it, it's very, very in the weeds, kind of. A lot of it, I couldn't, I was like, I don't even think I'd understand this. Do you know what I'm saying? I wonder what you were going to say there. <laughs> yeah. What I was expecting, because I'm familiar with you, I've listened to a number of podcasts with you on over the years, and you're very good at just like making things simple and easy to digest and, and, and very applicable to the clinic and to the, to the injured individual. But when I read your research, I was like, wow, this is like really like, like, I don't know, I'm basic physiology kind of very um you know uh I don't, I don't know what the right word is but, but very um Detail, high resolution full of jargon <laughs> <laughs> yeah um as possibly because i think simply as well i'm simple really <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah it, it it does you know i guess where that's that that comes from is is, is the science isn't it and, and there's a step back from that as well so what you know, thinking about the mechanisms that underpin that and thinking about, you know, you can keep going into further and further into the different systems and you get all sorts of acronyms and uh, processes and, you know, figuring out the detail. And it's, it's a, a time process as well that, that goes from kind of doing the basic science and by basic, I, I don't mean simple. Um, coming through then to applying that into a, a practical situation and it requires some kind of understanding of of the practical situation and the science and so I'm, I'm neither an expert in either but maybe I've got an appreciation for both so hopefully I can kind of uh, meld 
Melba too. So taking that complexity and boiling it down to things that from an evidence base, we can say, yeah, that's, that's likely to have an effect that we're not so sure on where do we put our time and effort and then start to then shape and tailor training or rehab on interventions using some of these, these scientific findings, principles, etc. Well, for my two cents, I think um, people like yourself are much needed, you know, there's sort of, it's overwhelming to me as a clinician, how much research there is available. And I've sort of chosen a, a sort of niche area, I like running, I like running injuries. So I, I can't even keep up with the research on that tiny little area. Never mind all the other, you know, strength and conditioning. My, my understanding of it is very simplistic, you know, and, it, and my application of it is probably not great, you know, to be honest. And it's probably above average. So it's um, it's very much uh, a knowledge translation that the the field needs, I think. As, well, that's good to hear because that's what I enjoy doing. Um, but <laughs> but I also understand, you know, everybody can't be expert at everything. Hmm. Um, it's just it's it's literally, you know, it's it's impossible, isn't it? You'd never get anything done. So even when you've got the luxury and time to be able to focus only on um, research, so that's kind of doing the reading, digesting, evaluating, and doing your own research, just, you know, there's still a, a lot to keep up with. Mm. So um, I've got tremendous um, understanding of, of, of what that is. And, and, you know, for any, you know, in your, your position, like any therapist that's able to find the time for, you know, evidence-based, uh, you know, or reading of the evidence, and then thinking about, you know, applying it, it's, no, uh, it's very difficult to do in terms of timing. I know it's busy. So, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, definitely hats off to you. Well, I think podcasts really in the last 10 years have been a revelation for me as a clinician, you know, and that, mm -hmm. that's why I'm already familiar with you and a lot of your thoughts on things like just getting researchers to, to, to be able to talk to clinicians like in our ear while we're out for a run. You know, that is so much easier than trying to read a, a research paper, which I think obviously is still important, but it's um, it's another medium to try and improve our, how quickly the, the, the physio profession or other rehab professions develop, you know? Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, you know, podcasts are, are great for that, aren't they? You know, you don't have to, like you're saying, sit down with with paper, although I do like reading paper and I do like kind of annotating stuff, but sometimes, you know, if you, you don't have the time of the day, maybe you can do two things at once. You're going for your run and you can listen to somebody talking about something, you know, really interesting and applicable. So yes, agreed. <laughs> Podcasts are a great medium. So specifically today, I'd, um, I'd read your paper on, I think you wrote it in 2017 about, it was like a systematic review of osteoarthritis. And it was really interesting to me, you were looking at the strength. My understanding was again, from this, you know, third party, it's being passed on by other people. It's like, okay, if someone's got osteoarthritis in their knees, then you do strength training and they get better. <laughs> so that was the kind of basic. But then I read your paper and you were talking about, you know, how the research base on osteoarthritis, um, it's not really following this, the principles of strength training, 
the way it should. So I wonder, could you tell us a little bit more about that particular review that you did, why you did it and what, what you found? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and in all honesty, probably we need to go back and, and redo that systematic review. So it was published in 2017. Um, if you've ever you know, attempted a systematic review, it's quite a, a lengthy process. So um, there's, there's more uh, good quality evidence that's that's come after that that publication. So you know that's that's nice to see. But at that time, you know, my my thoughts were so I was at um, when I so when I had the idea for the systematic review. What prompted it was this is when I was in Edinburgh and I was seeing lots and lots of total knee replacements um, and hips as well. Um, and I was seeing the you know the, the rehabilitation that went alongside that which i was questioning for, for, for a few reasons but you know i think we could do better than this and then you know you track that back why do we need a total knee replacement you know the that uh, osteoarthritic you know, disease progression and what's going on in um clinical practice and in the research about trying to manage it manage that better and can we get people into a better state before they go for knee, uh, total knee replacement, for example. So then I was thinking, well, let's just have a look at what's being done in terms of interventions. And I had assumptions coming from uh, a sports medicine and sports science background that we would, within the um, rehabilitation and therapy literature, be applying some you know basic standard methodologies for uh, eliciting strength gains for example like you would do in sport performance literature you know, it's just a common understanding um, of the principles but it that's where the systematic review kind of started and stopped the intention was to well investigate how whether or not strength training had a positive effect on symptoms of NEOA and etc etc but when we started the systematic review what became really clear was that even in those you know randomized control trials you know as we view as gold standard they you know the the best available evidence if you like on a, on a particular uh, topic even the methodologies within those trials were so varied um, between studies, yet each and every one of them describing the methodology or indeed in the paper uh, title that the aim was a strength training intervention or strength training rehabilitation protocol. But yet you had such vastly different methods of doing that. And dare I say it ineffective or suboptimal, should we say, that we, there was no way we'd, we'd, we'd even be able to meaningfully answer that question and you could see kind of I think it was a year to two years later these uh, the, the the reviews that come out the umbrella reviews and meta analyses that, that say well we don't know whether a resistance training or strength training is, is beneficial for NEOA and that's because you look at the studies that we'd, we'd seen well one study was doing straight leg raises another study might have done a protocol an isokinetic dynamometer another study might have done step ups another study Many studies fails to document some of the basic things like intensity, even adherence. So mm. you've got no idea really what the dose is uh, that you're giving or that you're, you're comparing between studies. 
So, you know, that's where, you know, the, the systematic review started and stopped because <laughs> as I said, it's not, it wasn't appropriate to look at the, in my view, what the results were until we actually show about what the methods are. So it was a, a systematic review on the, the methodological approach to um, strength training in the management of symptoms of NEOA. So you're essentially interested in whether, you know, strength training is in fact good for knee osteoarthritis pain, but you couldn't really look into it because when you started reading the research that had been done in that area, they were doing some, what I would call quite light strengthening exercises and some very heavy strengthening exercises and some you were doing it lots of days and some where you were doing it a little bit and, and there was too much variability in the approaches that if you were then to do an analysis, you would get, uh, what's the word invalid, uh, conclusions because you, yeah. you don't have. And, in, the... and, and the, I forget who did it now. There was a, uh, an umbrella review, which is a review of all kind of reviews on that topic that was published shortly after uh, that paper, which, you know, questioned whether or not it was effective as in, we're not sure if it is or not, or it's possibly, it possibly is, or it possibly isn't. And that's because of, you know, you can, you can well imagine, even if you have the same populations, the same patient profiles, and you put somebody through a straight leg, uh, leg raise protocol, or you give another group a, a red TheraBand and go away and do six, with no determination of intensity and, and progression, and you know, what that overload is, um, and then you compare that with somebody who's, you know, or a patient group that are doing a very well controlled or better controlled uh, approach to improving muscular strength, which doesn't have to be isokinetic dynamometry. It can be, can be something else, but at least you're paying attention to that. So you can see potentially why you might get mixed results if you've got very, very mixed approaches to delivering what was understood as the same thing, a strength training intervention so as i said since that's been published we've got some you know i think a better understanding within the the literature of of what we should be talking about and describe or at least describing mm -hmm. uh, and then to um as i said some publication of of um better methodological approaches since then so you talked there about i think you mentioned some of the principles some what yeah. are these principles that we need to adhere to if we're hoping to improve someone's strength well the they're similar for or they're the same for any type of exercise intervention that you want to do so the, the first is specificity specifically what is it that you want to improve so is it that you want to improve muscular strength is it what do you want to improve flexibility is it that you want to improve uh, time trial performance, you know, you've got to kind of put your stake in the ground. What is it that you want to improve? Two, then it's, it's overload. So how are you going to challenge the body, the systems to adapt, to become better at that? So from a strength perspective, the overload is, is literally the load. <laughs> um, and then Three is progression. So if you get those two factors right, your, your patient or your athletes um, will progress. They'll get better. But if you don't build progression into the program, they will stagnate and you will fail 
or they will fail to continue to get better in terms of that outcome that you want to achieve. So if you get somebody to do, let's pick three sets of 10 as a, as a good example, okay? So we get somebody to do three sets of 10. You might see in the first um, you know, week or two, you, you see improvements across whatever metrics that you're, you're measuring. And you've determined what that intensity is. So it's not arbitrary, you know, it's relative to that individual's capability. But as they start to get, in this case, let's say stronger, let's say they get, you know, they start to get stronger, but they're still doing the same exercise progression, uh, exercise prescription, it doesn't represent the same challenge, the same overload. So that person, that body, the body effectively says, well, okay, I don't need to get any better because I'm, I can do this efficiently. So okay. um, it's basically specificity, overload and progression. And mm -hmm. um, we have those, if we have those principles in our minds, when we're thinking about doing any type of of intervention or training, then that really helps to shape um, your thoughts and your prescriptions around what you want to improve. So trying to make it, I don't, I don't want to come up with sort of a random hypothetical. It just kind of confused the issue, but I would like to just try and bring that into a real world example a little bit, just to make it easier to understand. So let's say we've got a runner who doesn't have, um, significant pain so they can still run but they've had an x-ray and they've got some changes on the x-ray that show a bit of osteoarthritic change and we can come back to whether we should but um we've decided that if we make that um the muscles around that knee stronger that that'll be better for that runner in the long run so what what how would we apply those those four principles to that situation, like what will be a hypothetical way we could use certain exercises and progressions to, to do that? Okay, so the specificity in this example uh, is, is muscle strength. So we want to improve the strength of specifically the knee muscles. So is it that we're looking at, again, we can, we can keep drilling down in specificity. So is it quadriceps? Is it quadriceps and hamstrings? Is it the calf complex as well? Um, so we've got all those things um, kind of in our mind or on paper. Then ideally what we'd like to be able to do is measure this as well. So if you can take some sort of measure of their strength, now some people might have kind of dynamometry in their clinics, um, some people won't, but if you're going to prescribe the right type of exercise, you're probably going to need some form of resistance. So it might be that, you know, you can get a, a three rep max or a five rep max or a one rep max on a particular lift or seated in a, in a knee extension machine. So control the situation as much as possible. So you've got some idea of what their starting strength is and you want to improve it by specifically, you know, if we're going really specific, uh, 20%, let's say, for example. So those are the, you know, the ideal characteristics. Now it might be you don't do that. You don't have time to do that, but specifically, you know, you need to improve muscle strength. So I've got to do my quads. I've got to do my hamstrings and I, I want to get stronger. And you just measure what you can lift at the start and what you can lift at the mm. end. So, <clears throat> so if let's say it's, it's not, they're not coming to see me. This runner is just, you know, they want to do it on their own. And 
you know, let, let's keep it simple. So that, that seated knee extension machine. So you, yeah. you sit at the gym, everybody hits it. It's you sit, you straighten your knee, you bend it and <laughs> against resistance, but it does make this example quite simple. It so does, yeah. they sit on that and you're saying you want to so, some example of how strong they are to begin with. How would they quantify how strong is my quadriceps muscle using that machine? How would, would they be able to do that? Or? Sure. So if they've never done any resistance exercise before, you, you want a, a progressive a, approach. Otherwise, you'd probably just end up quite a bit, you know, be sore. It'd be like doing a, a massive downhill running session for, I don't know, half an hour. And, you, you know, it's the next day where you want to walk downstairs backwards. Um, and it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's unlikely to cause injury. It's just unpleasant. Um, so you do a, maybe a couple of sessions and just get familiar with the, the kits, get okay. familiar with going to the gym. Now, thereafter, what you start to do then, and I'd suggest doing single limb exercise as well, rather than double limb, um, is you put the pin in the stack and then you straighten your leg. And if we're asymptomatic, so there's no pain or discomfort, you could probably do full range from 90 or back from 90 degrees up to full extension. How much can you lift? And if, you, if we're looking at getting stronger, then we're really wanting to lift very heavy weights, but for few repetitions. And I know that fills runners with absolute dread, but we can come to that in a second. Um, but you suddenly won't bulk up like the Incredible Hulk or be lining up for a bodybuilding competition after a single session. So, <laughs> don't worry. If only it was so if easy. If only that was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you put a, a pin in and put it where you think you can probably do five repetitions and what you'll find is you can probably do more than five so once you've mm -hmm. done six or seven then rest and take at least two minutes rest and increase the weight a little bit so if it's a case of adding just one pin down maybe you do you do that and do the same thing and as you become more familiar with the exercise and the resistance and the load you'll realize that actually your capability is more than you assumed it would be the more than you guessed you're able to lift more than than you would have predicted and as you become as i said more familiar with this some so you know you hear people shouting in the gym now, i'm not suggesting you go and shout but you're kind of getting that determination um <laughs> periodically and i call it an, almost an internal shout as well so it <laughs> helps recruitment and drive of the musculature um to do a, a, any extension. So you might find there's actually a few more repetitions in the tank than you figured. So you kind of go through that process of increasing the weight a little bit, getting to, you know, if you get to seven and you know there's, you get to seven, we want to do uh, fewer than seven, take two minutes rest, add a little bit more weight. And then what the prescription that we really want to be working to is, is really no more than five repetitions and that's to failure. And that's a, a good way of, of you judging as particularly if you're new to resistance training, if you're in the kind of optimal zone. Now that's saying if you do six, it's not going to make mean the, the wheels are going to fall off and everything you do is, 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 is redundant. But that optimal zone is around about three to five repetitions maximum. So really heavy weight, but only very, very few. Um, so if we're thinking about um, Comp assessing you you assessing yourself individually how strong you are a simple way to do that is once you kind of 
a couple of weeks into your program or maybe even the first week you've got to your let's say a five repetition maximum you know what that is you write it down and then over a period of weeks then the way to progress on this exercise is not to do more repetitions it's to increase the weight mm -hmm. so once you can do consistently more than seven across two sets and if you're doing three sets then that's a marker that actually that's becoming relatively easier now so i need to increase the weight so increase the weight and that might drop down to four repetitions but that's fine so as you go through that process what you'll see over a period of let's say six weeks eight weeks maybe even 12 weeks your the weight that you're lifting for five ish repetitions will go up okay and then that would uh, indicate an increase in quadriceps strength and that would be an example of using those specific uh, those principles of strength training or um in order to elicit the response that yeah. you're after so which the is specificity is you want to get stronger the overload is that you're lifting heavy weights few repetitions with with rest in between then progression is as i can lift seven repetitions on consecutive sets i'm going to increase the weight to bring it back down to five and you go through that process so that specificity overload and progression very simply put very easily done in in a gym setting and you can apply that to, to all all of the exercises and i think that's i mean those unfortunately to my mind the, the evidence that strength training is beneficial for runners is is quite strong mm -hmm. the amount of runners who are regularly doing strength training is quite small <laughs> those yeah. that are they're not doing what you just described i would say on average most are doing yeah body weight or lighter exercises and let's say they're doing lunges they they might you know have two two 10 pound dumbbells and they do 10 lunges and they do three sets that progression that you just mentioned is is usually absent i would say that that most runners are not you know measuring with a specific goal to increase their strength or the weight that they can do and then measuring again six or 12 weeks later mm -hmm. So, uh, what is happening for those runners who, no, those, those few runners who are doing the strength training but aren't applying those principles as we just talked about? What are they, are they accomplishing anything? Are they accomplishing nothing? What, what, what's going on there? Um, so, initially, you might get an adaptation, um, and whether you're doing, you know, it depends what it is, depending on how much load and rest and repetitions. Um, and you, you will get, you know, any novel exercise will bring about some, some adaptation, but if you don't get specific thereafter, it'll kind of wane very quickly. Um, so what that will be doing, if you don't apply those principles of progression in there and you haven't got a specific focus, really, you just do it because it, it looks nice and you've been on Runner's World and, um, you know, the, the magazine and the, the, you've seen a few people doing this without really telling you why and how. Mm. Um, then you you'll just maintain what you've developed in the first couple okay. of weeks right which you know there'll always be a maintenance phase in a in a program whether it be maintaining cardiovascular fitness whether it be maintaining muscle strength but you know if you if you're going to take the time and effort to do some resistance training with the aim of getting stronger building up the you know the size of your or not the size but the uh, the fullness, if you like, of your muscle strength fuel tank, 
then you might as well do it, you know, optimally, or at least a bit better, get more for the <laughs> optimizer input output equation. If you want to take the time to do this, you might as well reap the rewards. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. yeah. You know, the worst case, you're probably just maintaining what you've got and you're not making you're not making any more progression. Yep, fair enough. And then so circling back to osteoarthritis, um I'm not super familiar with the, the research. I'm sure you are more so than me. Looking at it now, is strength training a worthwhile pursuit for someone who's having trouble with knee osteoarthritis and maybe they're, they're not able to run as much as they used to be because their knee's hurting and they've been diagnosed with osteoarthritis as being a potential cause. What is strength training a worthwhile use of their time? Um, yes, <laughs> is my, my basic answer. Um, and, you know, if it, right. If, if you think about the that individual and i see this a lot as well and you you probably see it far more frequently than i do you've got uh, a runner who is let's say over 50 and as we start to age then our muscle strength and quality starts to decline unfortunately it's a normal process of aging but it does happen um and as we experience the discomfort in the knee using that as an example then that kind of cues um, people to not do things that might that we might need to do uh, to challenge the muscles. So maybe they they do less volume. Maybe they don't, you know, they take the lift instead of the stairs. Um, just try and avoid that pain, that discomfort, which is a normal thing to do. But in this circumstance, if it is, you know, it's associated with the, the osteoarthritic uh, progression, it's not a very useful pain because of the, the cascade of things that happen after it. And the things that you need to do to get stronger will not cause more damage if you do them correctly. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's, un, it's, it's, it's not a very useful cue. So you want to build yourself into a, a more robust runner and that becomes ever more important as we get older. And that's the same for non-runners as well. So just being able to maintain independence and not be reliant on others for activities uh, of, of daily living, and including stair navigation and shopping and walking the dog and stuff like that. But you know, if you're putting your body through um, a challenging pursuit like running and, and then it, be, it becomes important to think about those things and what's happening with um, and a, the age-related decline in muscle mass, strength, and quality. Now, the evidence base is is kind of mixed. So you might understand this from the fact that when we did that systematic review, there's not a block, huge block of evidence. They've all done the same thing, and they've all come up with the same answer. So if we look at muscle strength or muscle weakness and its association with knee pain then there's evidence to show that those weak individuals have greater knee pain. And if you think theoretically or conceptually, the muscles around the joint, I describe it to, to patients with, well, any kind of knee issues, it's like the biological scaffolding. So you want that scaffolding to be performing well, such that the knee can function well. If it's weak, inhibited, 
um, you know, maybe then you've got slightly different patterns of loading within the knee that maybe if you're symptomatic makes your symptoms flare up or make them make them feel worse. So then the you know weakness is associated with um, knee pain or more knee pain in, in OA patients. Um, increasing kind of muscle strength can be associated with a reduction in knee pain and improved function. Um, and there was that study very, very recently that's kind of done the rounds and, you know, congratulations to them that the START trial um, uh, by Messier um, was just published this year. And I actually remember seeing this listed on the clinical trials database when we were doing one um, that we've just submitted for publication now on, on um, strength training, the, the opposite side postoperatively. And I was very interested to see what the results of this were because they were intervening looking at a high intensity versus a low intensity strength training program on symptoms of knee OA and compressive loading, blah, you know, many things like that. And what they found was actually there was no difference in symptoms of knee OA in those groups that did a high intensity strength training intervention. So very similar to the way that I've described it versus a low intensity resistance training program with much lighter weights. So we're like, okay, is you know, do, do we need to get rid of all that that theory? And mm -hmm. and you know, are we really having to redress this thought? But I think it's an interesting study. Um, but there's a few things that that in my mind um, preclude its extrapolation to to the rest of the OA population. So this was an obese sedentary males. Um, so you know. As I said, do any novel exercise, you're likely to elicit some, some adaptation and they're sedentary and obese as well. So maybe we're exchanging some fat mass for muscle mass, et cetera. Um, interestingly, also in the, in the control groups who did no exercise, there was a decrease in, in uh, pain and improvement in, in, in um, some of these parameters by in some cases 33% and those individuals did nothing. Right. So like, okay. <laughs> So maybe the psychological component is uh, important there. And, and something that I think is really key as well is the, and this is not bashing this study at all. You know, it takes so much to set up a, a randomized clinical trial. Um, but what would have been really nice was if they took into account the individual and relativized the exercise design to each individual. So your runner with a NEOA problem who's going, it just hurts when I do a leg press and my knee's really bent. Well, my view is, well, don't do the leg press when mm. your knee's really bent. Change the range, not the load. So rather than you know, reducing the load so that it's less symptomatic and you can do the full range, that means you're compromising your specificity. So you're not optimizing muscle strength and intervention. What I say is change the way in which you're doing the exercise. So don't go to 90 degrees flexion or post. Where is it least symptomatic? And then do the heavy load throughout that range. Or think about you know, knee extension exercise where you haven't got that compressive loading or other things. So think about the exercise design and prescription um, before you start to quickly change the load. So you know, these, these things are, are really difficult to um, evaluate and extrapolate to mass populations. And I think the research is, is building in terms of its 
um, more stringent methodological approaches on really trying to answer that question. And it'd be interesting to see what, what comes in the future, but certainly on a on an anecdotal level, this is what I do with um, the, the neowide patients that I see out of COVID times. We run a 12-week neowide strengthening program in a gym. And within a couple of weeks, we get people up to lifting three to five rep max on leg press, on knee extensions, on hamstring curls, alongside some other kind of balance exercises too. Um, and we manipulate the exercise not the load so yes there's a progressive approach to it so we don't just suddenly chuck people on and just throw all the weights at them um but usually they get there quite quickly and we see you know very quickly within six weeks and improvement in strength and function which is accompanying improvement in pain and then by that 12 week period you know the invariably have achieved the goal that they wanted to to achieve so that whether that's getting back playing tennis in some circumstances which is really you know kind of high load and lots of twisting and um you know that was a real challenge and i wondered whether or not we'd do that and so he he did that successfully for a while uh, or if it's walking on unstable ground with the dog or maybe even fell running you know so um yeah, that's that's where we're at. I'll stop. I'll stop blabbing now. <laughs> well, you 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 talk, You touched on a number of different points there, you know, and it's um, I think what you said about uh, adjusting the exercise range, I thought was quite interesting because I mean that that's hard to do in research. I'd imagine it's harder to do that to be so. Uh, dynamic with you know let's say we've still got this guy who's got knee pain and he's a runner and he wants to get his leg stronger because as you say the research reflects that those with knee or ear who are weaker have worse quality of life generally so uh, this runner is aware of this and wants to keep his strength and actually get stronger because as we age we know we're going to get weaker so that just through the natural process of even and if you've got knee pain you might be like okay well i'm going to run a bit less i'm not going to do things certain things at the gym i'm going to lift lighter and these behaviors over time sort of compound to um mean that this weakening with age happens even more um than it would have so now you have this bad situation where you've got the knee that's painful because of the uh, osteoarthritis and you've got the weakening of the muscles with age so the biological scaffolding as you say is is getting you know less less capable as the as the runners each year and then it, when you're thinking okay well i want to try and get that leg stronger let's say the quadriceps muscle so they start doing let's say some lunges and some step ups and some leg press machine which is the one for anyone who doesn't know you lie on your you sort of sit down and you push the plate away from you but it hurts right because <laughs> they've got um knee so when they try and do like let's say that leg press machine it hurts but what you're saying is if it doesn't hurt at the at, when your legs almost straight but it only hurts when your knees really bent then you should just work the range where it's almost straight, you know, the, not just a tiny little bit of a bend, like a, you know, maybe you bend it to about 45 degrees, then you push it out to straight again. But then you should go into that, you know, 
five rep max kind of range. So you're putting the pin down way down where you can only just push out five reps. And then you're still applying those principles. So over sort of four, six, eight weeks, you're measuring to make sure you're improving your strength on in that range. And you're not so much worrying about the bottom end of the range where it's painful because you're not going to be able to apply those principles. You're not going to be able to progressively strengthen your muscles because it hurts too much. Is that is that kind yeah. of what you're getting? Yeah, at, nice right? summary. <laughs> <I've ended laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly what I'm, I'm saying. And invariably, what we find is as people become stronger, that range improves. Right. Symptoms go down. So you might find that, you know, you you be able to lift heavy and deeper using that as an example. Um, I mean, it might not work for every single person, but the con the consequences are not are not dramatic as in it's not going to mean that your knee suddenly breaks down um mm -hmm. but we do know and i suspect strongly that muscle strength certainly muscle function has got uh, a role to play and if we can you know if we ignore that and become sedentary then you're just going to start that cascade or that cascade will downwards will go more quickly and in the running example you've got knee pain you're not doing the thing that you love which is running and you know you got more knee pain and you're not you know so it, it it'll pro i don't know whether that means by doing strength training you'll be able to run forever i'm not suggesting that but what i'm suggesting is that you know if running's an important part of your life an important part of you and you and i, I personally do know what it's like to be dispossessed almost of, of things that you enjoy doing from physically um it's not just it affects you on on a on a holistic level doesn't it mentally as well you know just getting out for a run can be so invigorating or de-stressful so if you're not able to do that um then that's got a, a, a large impact on your life so if we think that can can we do something about it because otherwise you're just waiting for a total knee replacement and actually you're getting in a worse condition because you're not being prescribed strengthening exercises and an exercise to do to get you in a really good position to undergo such dramatic surgery. So you see this kind of deconditioning of people. They get to a point where they can no longer walk upstairs um, and they're waking up in the night because of pain. Then they can have a knee replacement. And then long behold, what do you need to do? Well, you need to rehab, you need to get stronger. And they're like way down here. That rehabilitation journey is just, yeah, it's a, it's a big thing to undertake. So even if knee replacement is on the horizon can you um by doing some of these types of exercise put it down the line a little bit put it off and when it is appropriate can you be in a much better position to undergo that surgery so pre-operative status determines post-operative outcomes so if you're stronger and you've got good range <clears throat> of motion going into surgery you're going to be stronger and potentially have better range coming out of surgery versus being really weak and, and just think how much you need to develop hmm. afterwards. Which I so, think is a really common scenario. And I think you see that among runners because unfortunately the the advice that if you if you have knee pain and you have an x-ray and it shows knee arthritis, then often I'll meet people who have been told that they should stop running which personally I don't agree with. And I don't think the evidence reflects that that's good advice um, across the board. But then, okay, so you're not running anymore. 
And so your muscles are going to get weaker and you're getting older as we all are. So your muscles are going to get weaker and then you're not doing as much general exercise because it hurts. So your muscles are going to get weaker. And then it's sort of, as time passes, if the osteoarthritis progresses to a point where the knee does need replacing, now you've got these little piddly spindly muscles supporting <laughs> this new knee replacement and you have to try and make them really big so that you can, you know, get up the stairs and get in out of a chair. And running is all, almost a sort of distant memory 10 years ago, something I used to do. And mm. it's really unfortunate when you see people have gone down that path. Cause I think, yeah. I don't think it's always necessary. And in fact, I think a lot of the time, if you intervene early and back off the running a bit, build up the strength, if the, the pain subsides a little bit, then you can get running again. And then you keep, you progress your strengthening. So you get stronger and you're able to run more you may never end up needing that knee replacement in the first place. And you don't end up like going, it is just a, it's a, yeah. it's a and if, downward spiral. If you spiral. do need that knee replacement, you're in a better, better position mm -hmm. physically and mentally to undergo that surgery. And, you know, there's nothing to say that you can't run after, mm. you know, like particularly if you're in good shape, your muscles are in good shape. And, you know, think to add to that example you gave about deconditioning prior to surgery, doing less and less exercise, then, you know, you, you're doing, you're expending less energy. So unless you titrate your diet, you'll be putting weight on. So there's, there's, there's weight, extra load that that painful knee is carrying. That's not useful load. It's not muscle tissue. It's, it's inert. Well, not inert, obviously adiposity, but um, it's not helpful. Um, and then you've got that to lose as well mm. um, as you come out the other side. So I think there's a lot that we can do that's, that's very simple. It's not, it's, you know, I keep saying it's, it's not rocket science. It's just getting those systems in place um, to help people preoperatively, um, whether they be an athlete or completely not an athlete, <laughs> go into a surgery like that in a good position such that the outcome can be, you know, has, have every opportunity to be, what they want it to be. I think from a practical standpoint, I can imagine, you know, a lot of runners have minimal experience with strengthening, strength training. And mm. I know even for me, like I've done it for a lot of years, but you know, doing five rep max or a weight that's so heavy, I can't pick it up seven times. You know, it's quite intimidating. Do you, do you have any advice for runners who want to get into that intensity range? but are maybe just getting started with strength training? Yeah, I mean, first of all, just doing it, starting it, picking anything up that's challenging or heavy or pushing <laughs> it away, you know, that's, that's a fantastic position to be in. So I'm not saying that this is the pinnacle, you don't do this, everything else is, is just a bag of rubbish. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, you know, if we can really hone our prescription, what would it look like? So doing any resistance exercise that's challenging, and doing fewer than 10 repetitions and failing or, or at least be, you know, kind of seven to, and there's only a couple of left in the tank at the very least, then that's, that's going to be of benefit. Um, and just play around with it. So find out things that you like doing, uh, get some help and advice in the gym from trainers, if you can, if you've never done it before. And the first, <clears throat> the first thing to say is if you're going to start to lift heavy and you're inexperienced, then 
you want to make sure that that situation is safe as possible. So that's why I really like machines like the knee extension, like the leg press, hamstring curl, because you know you can really load up that that exercise. And in the case of a knee extension, if if you fail or you can't you can't lift it, you just, the weights just crash. You don't mm. fall over. Mm. You know it's not. It's not it's not threatening in that way or it's, it's less threatening than perhaps going straight into a barbell back squat yeah. and then failing at the bottom panicking and you know you fall over you know it's a big catastrophe um so but those compound lifts like a back squat um something that's probably uh, more controlled would be a deadlift that's still compound so by compound i mean using more than one joint or muscle group um, and they're they're really good to to target a multitude, as I said, of, of different muscle groups. Um, so getting into those is is something that you know I'd recommend, and can be quite enjoyable, really, as well. It's quite challenging how much you can you can deadlift, um, and again, start start at a, a level that you're comfortable with. I'm not at all suggesting if you've never done this before jump straight into the, those really heavy weights. We want a progressive approach. We want you to feel confident and comfortable. You, you know, I'm not suggesting you go to, to failure every single session for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, just put it in. If you can develop that as a habit, as a part of your training, then that's probably the most challenging thing, particularly for endurance athletes, to, to take on board resistance training. And then if you are doing it, Think about what you're actually doing and the time you're investing, the effort that you're investing. Can you tweak and hone those programs to get more out of mm. the time and effort that you're investing? So if you're just going through the motions of, so I coached a, um, a marathon runner in California over lockdown recently, and he was doing muscle strengthening exercise. And those strengthening exercises were given to him by his, his, um, rehab uh, as his physiotherapist uh, and also he'd seen them on the running community but these were like 30 reps of of clams and kind of like you were saying the lunges but there's no real thought around intensity or why do you stop at 30 mm. why do you stop at 20 what is it that's causing you to stop for me it would probably be boredom <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, it's like, is it is it that the resistance is just it's too much you can't do anymore so if you're in the 20s it's going to be that lactic acidosis the hydrate you know acidic environment in the muscles and it's burning but from a strength perspective we don't want to feel that it feels very different when you're training for strength properly you don't get that horrible burn you just literally feel like there's nothing left in the tank you mm. can't can't do it i just can't do it it's yeah. not there i've never <clears> so noticed that before big... it's a different type of failure when you when you sort <laughs> of if I do body weight lunges and like you said, you often see that it's like, okay, I do three sets of 15 of these lunges, body weight. And it's like, why? And and yeah. if you, if you were to get that runner and say, okay, do as many as you can, they might do like 65, 80 reps, you know? And it's like, well, so that's an 85 rep max. <laughs> <You know? And laughs> yeah. When they fail or when, if I fail doing like an exercise like that, it is that it's that burn, you know, it, it's, it comes on much more gradually. Whereas when it's, when I fail on a, I'm trying for a five rep max and I only push out four reps. It's just, I go to pick it up the fifth time and it just won't move. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a very, very different feeling. And if you've, you've not 
well, if you're not a fan of that, that muscle burn, then I'd highly recommend it. <laughs> um, in the, you know, it's, it's, and it's a good way to describe it to people as well when you're, when you're kind of coaching them. Um, because a lot of people are familiar with the, the failure that's induced by that, um, just the burn, you know, mm. they, they call it lactic acid. Um, but you can really differentiate between the failure from a strength exercise because you're thinking about it just won't happen and the, the leg or the, the, the tank is, is, is empty. There's, there's nothing left. So that kind of can be a good cueing point as mm, well. You yeah, know, when you're definitely. doing these exercises, do some more, you just keep going. Is it burning now? We don't, how many have you done? You know, because if you've done, you know, it will be very rare to feel that if you, if you are doing a, a five rep max, you just, you know, the time and the, the, the length of muscle contraction. So. Well, I really like, I'm going to steal, I never thought of doing, like you said, with someone who's new to this strengthening world, you know, you get, you get this runner with OIA knee and you want to try and get them into strengthening for all the reasons we've discussed. You can start with the machines. Like sometimes people don't like the machines because, um, you know, sometimes they get a bad rap, but it means that you can, you can push the heaviness much easier and you can start getting into that five rep max kind of a range where you're going really heavy in a very kind of it's not scary is it like I, I remember before I did much weightlifting seeing people doing back squats like with the barbell on the back and thinking I I'd, I wouldn't know where to start do you know what I mean <laughs> how are you supposed yeah. to do that so but you can get into it with these first few weeks build up until you're confident pushing heavier on the machines and then you can try some of the if you get someone to to show you who's yeah. experienced or one of the trainers or a physio, they can show you how to do some of the more um, elaborate looking lifts. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. So you can play around with your, your, your weights and feel, you know, safe doing so in the machines. And then you can maybe be practicing the techniques with mm. very little resistance on, on some of the more um, uh, technically challenging uh, lifts and there's always progressions in, in between as well so you don't need to go from a leg press to a back squat you can do it in a smith machine you can do a box squat you can you know there's there's lots of different things that you can do to mm. to progress to get there which you know from that I kind of always recommend to to therapists on, on on the courses that i teach it's it's accommodating the clinical symptoms and then the capability of of the individual so before you ditch any exercise, just think about the specificity and the overload and the progression and kind of layer in the symptoms of the individual and then obviously their, their capability and competency. So how, how long have you got them for? So if it's like you're going to see them once now and once in six weeks time and they've never done resistance training before, it's pointless teaching them to do a back squat because that takes a little bit of time mm. to get used to. Um, the, you're most likely to be able to get better effects by doing teaching those principles when to increase the weight and do it on these these machines or maybe a lunge or something like that if it's asymptomatic you can drop the weights there's no catastrophe there mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then kind of build into you know if you've got people for a bit longer and you see all you see them more then you know they can be practicing the, the things that they maybe really want to try um for, for technique and then just start to gradually increase the, the weight on those. 
And it makes it more fun, right? Because I think uh, something that puts runners off the gym, I know it did me, is it's just, it's not as fun as going for a run. I mean, a lot of people love strength training, but they're the ones who are already doing it, you know? <laughs> so so that it, for yeah. runners, if they're not that into it, um, learning new skills can be a way to make it more fun. Uh, just be, I, I want to let you go soon because I know um, I want to be um, careful with running over too much, but I was just thinking about frequency. And I know it's a, a bit of a big question, but how often do people need to if we've got this runner with knee or and they want to get stronger how often do they need to do these exercises in order to see the benefits we expect or we we desire um so if there's no you know if you're managing it yourself you've got very little experience you haven't got a trainer you know you're coming from that perspective i'd be saying kind of do it once once a week uh, and, and and make it a habit you know make it a part of your training week um just so that you get that resistance training in now if you've got the ability to maybe periodize a little bit and you've got a race calendar um and you've got things that you're aiming for then you might want to block a period of maybe two times a week possibly even three but only maybe for six weeks and then you're doing a maintenance session um for when you're kind of doing more of your running um training if you like then you kind of taper so maybe you drop it for three weeks four weeks and then you're tapering um or start then to taper into the your running performance um there's ways of mixing it up but i'd just say try and make it a part of your normal routine mm. um and then you know in terms of lifting five rep max forever and ever amen um you know play do do a block of it do six to 12 weeks of it and then maybe you want to take a, a week's break or um maybe you go on holiday you know natural things happen you know that well, holiday who can go on holiday now <laughs> but, you, know, like, you know what i mean <laughs> when we're back out of covid covid um you know you, you take natural breaks so you know that's will help with deload and reconditioning and remodeling um or plan in there uh a week of or two weeks of of no strength training and then start again but start a little bit lower than you where you where you finished off if you like um yeah i think but, it's i mean it's there's going to be natural variability i know for me uh i haven't done any strength training in weeks now because <laughs> stupid gym's closing so um you're gonna have these periods where you go down a bit and then you know you'll yeah, go up a yeah. bit it just happens naturally doesn't it and uh, where there'll be busier race periods where you're doing more running um, yeah. and, and there'll be periods where you're further away, like the winter, you're far away from yeah. racing, so you can do more. And... Yeah, okay. and I think um, just, just to bear in mind as well, in those the, the off season, that's your opportunity to top up that fuel tank. Mm -hmm. So if you think of your, a fuel tank, I always give this analogy of, as being like your, your, your strength fuel tank. So look at your fuel gauge on your car. If that's full, then you're in a you're in a good position if it's empty and you're going into racing you've got very little reserves you, know, you just think about the example of standing up from out of a chair somebody who's very weak and frail that might represent a maximal effort but if you top up that fuel tank make them much stronger it becomes sub-maximal so you can apply those principles uh to running and mm -hmm. it improves as we know running economy or time trial performance so get your fuel tank up and then if it's a period of, of, you know, however long you've got off strength training, at least you've been in a good, a higher baseline to come from um, than, than having not done any. 
Yeah, I mean, we haven't talked about it today, but you know, the, the performance um, aspect of strength and strength training for distance running is mm. is a really interesting topic. But I'm definitely not going to open that kind of world. Because... <laughs> I know it's a big one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, thank you very much for your time, Claire. Um, where could listeners find out a little bit more about you? Is there anything you'd like to point them towards? Sure. Um, so, yeah, please do feel free to connect with me. I'm on Twitter at Claire underscore Minchel. Uh, also on Instagram as Get Back to Sport. Um, and my website, which has got I've just published a 61st blog on strength and conditioning. I read it this morning. Uh, Very good. <laughs> yeah, cool. Um, so that's getbacktosports.com. So, um, yeah, please, please feel free to check it out and connect with me as well on social media. Yeah, it's um, uh, I'm I get the emails for the blog. So I would recommend that listeners sign up for those on your website and the uh you as well I'll link up some of the podcast interviews I've listened to with you in the past because I know listeners will be interested to to hear those as well so I'll put all of those links and uh, your social media handles and stuff in the description so uh, listeners can can find you easily uh, thank you so much for your time Claire it was uh it was really great my pleasure thanks very much for the invite okay take care now bye thanks for listening guys if you'd like your questions featured on the show, just email me, mboydphysio at gmail.com. And if you have a moment to leave a review on whatever podcast I'd be listening to this on, it would be a huge help. See you next week.